It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Lisko. And I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your normal host, Pat Satanic Host, better known as the host of the show, Hell of Misfortune. What a great pun that was. What a great I used pun. Hell this puns. Movie, this movie had some good puns. The thing that, so I, just uh, to be first and foremost, with us today is Lewis Peitzman. I thought we could just keep talking about puns before I keep no, trying no, no, no. I keep trying to like introduce like just like 7 minutes sure. of chat before we introduce the guest cuz I just, you know, I I'm well, do not interested in formality, but you know what? It's that's why this I, is <laughs> a I, special so guest. It is a special guest. Um Lewis, you reached out to me on Twitter and you were like, you know, uh love to come on the podcast i, I threw like, myself at you to be on the podcast no 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 here here's the thing i threw myself at you to come on our podcast for 1999 so it feels like it's it's now sort of more reciprocal um you came on 99 to talk about everyone's favorite film stigmata from <laughs> from 1999 yeah, certainly it's certainly a fave of mine and so when you reached out i was like obviously love to have you on and you picked two movies one of which i never heard of which is mom and dad save the world is that the name of it or something like that yes that is the name of the other movie that i mentioned the other movie mom and dad mom and dad save the world yeah yeah i've never heard of this movie but but lewis picked that and this which seemed to have similarities. I didn't really, I mean, for they were just my two childhood favorites. Sure, 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 um, sure. There are a handful of other movies that were not released in 92 that were childhood right, right, favorites, right. but but those were the two that I, like, remember renting constantly. Um, 
and I I didn't really think of a connection except that um, Joel on Twitter mm-hmm. said that he thinks of them as being paired. Mm-hmm. So clearly, well, they are know, parents some, forward movies, right? Like they are like very <laughs> sort of uh, parents saving the world, for lack of a better way of putting it. I, I and and they do feel very. And this is sort of a broader thing that I want to unpack, obviously, the course of this episode in terms of like where this fits in terms of like early 90s comedies, like kind of hangover from the 80s into the early 90s. Like you don't see many movies moving forward where parents are the protagonists. (laughs) Like it doesn't happen very often. Like adults start to become the supporting characters shortly. I feel. I feel like I can tell you exactly what this yeah. is. That's yeah. my baby. I don't know if you can hear my baby, but that's my <laughs> baby. Um, these movies are a response to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Huge, huge yes, hit. Yes, they yes. follow that template exactly. Like, this Absolutely. is just Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in every particular. But the but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I don't disagree with you, Emily, but I also think that the kids had more... Like, they were the heroes of that movie, right? Like, we were following the kids. I would argue that the, the that their aunt friend was the real hero of the movie. And the you mean kids auntie? Ha- yes, the kids have to also be there. Um, no, but I, I think there is something about, like, the adults being central. The kids, I mean, the kids in Stay Tuned definitely, one of them at least does something. I mean... Yes. These yeah, kids are not, like, yeah. I was thinking about it in terms of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in that it flips the script. Now the kid, now the yeah, kids sure, are in the Rick Moranis role from right, Honey, right, I Shrunk right. the Kids, but it is the same thing of like popular right. teenage girl, younger bratty brother, who's also a science genius. Like those, those, they could have just cast the kids from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and been fine. But the kids from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids are currently in Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, another Which movie. Which we will be covering. Another movie I wanted to see in 1992 <laughs> and did not get to see in 1992. You know, it, it is interesting. This So this movie, which, as I said to you, Louis, before we got on, Mike, I had never seen before. Um, Emily, this was a movie you wanted to see quite desperately in 92, and we're not allowed. I'm just I'm just going to put it out there. I'm just going to put this energy out there. I was a Stan Dauber. I was uh, all in on all in on Pam. And I just like I have been saying this around the apartment. I've been like excited to watch this. And Libby's been like, "Why?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, I love Pam Dauber." And she's like, "This is a bit." And I'm like, "No, it's not. I love Pam Dauber." And I, you you listen to me on this show. You know, yeah. everything I do seems like a bit, but also seems sincere. This yes. tilts a little more towards sincere than a bit, but it is both. <laughs> I mean, I I think that one thing that I didn't realize when I was a kid is that Pam Dauber and John Ritter are both so attractive. This is a movie where the parents are very hot. And I think that should be acknowledged, even if it was underappreciated by me as a six-year-old when this came out. I don't know when I first saw it. I was definitely not six, but I was pretty young. Um, Didn't get how hot they were. I mentioned this, Emily, when we, when we were doing the throw to this episode in the previous episode that we recorded. Um, (laughs) <laughs> when, what was the what was the episode before this one i believe it was patriot games uh, <laughs> and, what a double feature and 
I, I, as I mentioned, I, I worked in video stores, uh, you know, throughout um, high school and, and, and film school, and obviously went to video stores as a kid. And the box art on those video cassettes were very arresting, intentionally so, right? They were always like trying to pull you in. And I don't know if you had this with when you were a kid, Lewis, but there are some that haunted me, some that, that stayed with me. And then I felt like, oh, I don't think I want to see that one just based on like box art and stay tuned was one of those because there's something very sort of haunting about these parents shackled to these chairs with this like weird kind of wheel of fortune wheel behind them and it's it's I think it's it looks like a classic sort of 80s hand-drawn artistry like it just it was kind of powerful well, what haunts me about that image is there's a there's a golden retriever <laughs> on the t- like that's like that's looking and like looking in the screen and mm-hmm. up on the TV that is mm-hmm. nowhere to be found in, in the, the film. film. Yeah, if it was the they, had, they digitally removed him after he was credibly accused of sexual harassment. <laughs> but some, but Jeffrey Jones was not removed. No, Jeffrey. Well, Jones... this is yeah. Jeffrey Jones' crimes came to light long after, but the, the Golden okay. Retriever's crimes were like revealed between production and post production. So of course they were like, we got to get that dog out of here. Did you? I mean, the, Sorry, the effects. The, well, I was going to say the effects in this movie are surprisingly good. So I do believe they could <laughs> have removed That's the true. dog, and now believe they did. Well, there's also something very satisfying about the end of this film when uh, when someone says to Jeffrey Jones, you're canceled. Yes, I did have that in my notes as being a, uh, a, nice a moment of clarity. Full circle. Someone like predicted this. They knew it would age really well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they said do it. You, Good for them. Do you think Mephistopheles could write like a column for Barry Weiss's newsletter like about <laughs> his cancellation? Um, so when I was a kid, yes. Yes. this is, this is, I mean, I know we're like getting ahead of mm. whatever order you want to do yeah, this in, whatever. but I was going to say that this is, this is sort of my, my first, uh, experience with a Faustian bargain narrative. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so that when I read Dr. Faustus in college, I was like, oh, it's like, stay tuned. Um, <laughs> but I, watching it this time, I was like, I don't think they mentioned him as a Mephistopheles figure, but he's mm. not actually Mephistopheles. And his name isn't Spike. That's his last name. He's like something Spike. I forgot his first name. So I think, he, is he just like a guy? They seem to like hire Brandon people to work at Hellvision. Um, I guess they're dead. But I, 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 I really want to know more about like how you get a job there. And is there, it seems like there's like a, there's room for like upward mobility. And there's no, a lot absolutely. Of, it's, it's it is interesting place. that, that it, it sounds like you think this movie might be muddy in terms of some of its intentions. No, not at all. I think it's the clearest. Uh, I think that the, the, the plot and the themes Swiss watch are very well articulated. Um, and you know, it's all in the last scene with the fencing. It's all you get the whole point of it, um, which is that fencing is really what we should be focusing on. So, I think I yeah, think Americans watch too much television. That's kind of a subtle theme that's in the background of this film. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is that as I was watching this film, and Emily, you're married, so I'm curious. As I, Lewis, I don't know if you're married, so <laughs> my not, apologies. I'm not okay. married. As a married person, Emily, I, I, I wanted to sort of unpack. The themes of this movie seem to be about mm-hmm. a couple trying to find their way back to each other mm-hmm. through television. Mm-hmm. So TV can save a marriage? Yes. 
Okay. Yes. Okay. I mean, the thing that my wife, the thing that my wife gets mad at me for taking up too much, too much of my time is podcasting. So like, I think that, uh, what we need to do is Libby and I need to find each other through podcasting. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to just we see how we we'll figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, actually my very first podcast TV on the internet, which is no longer available. Don't go looking for it. We took it off because it's terrible, but like that was launched when our marriage was at its lowest ebb and we credited it with saving our marriage. And it was kind of true. So you can save a marriage through podcasting is what I'm saying. You can also save a marriage. They're getting sucked into a television. (laughs) Well, Well, that's, that's yeah, that was my bigger question, which is that it does feel like this movie is trying to have his cake needed too. Right. Which is like (laughs) TV's bad, but is it? Like it's, Listen, it's a little, you know what I mean? Like it's. Well, I, I mean, in moderate, I, I kind of thought they were going to arrive at like it's fun in moderation, but I don't think we quite get there. <laughs> we don't at all. What were you going to say, boy? This is like you know when you do like one when they like deprogram you from a cult by just like you know like hitting you in the face a bunch by giving you too much cults all the time, mm-hmm. like giving you a different cult to sort of glom yourself onto and then yeah. deprogramming you from that. This is kind of like that. John Ritter is just like. That's given true. full immersion therapy and realizes I don't actually need television that much. That said, like, I think that watching television together is often a way that couples bond. And like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So what is this, but just like John Ritter and Pam Dauber getting really into like, I don't know, Ted Lasso or something. <laughs> they would be into Ted Lasso. They, they feel like would Ted, be into they Ted, feel Lasso. Like a Ted Lasso. Couple. I, I think that you're looking at it though, Phil, in terms of yes. like, you know, as an adult thinking of this as like, it's about the couple coming together. I don't think I, you know, I think this is a kid's movie and it's sort of secondary. I mean, all that really matters is that, is that like, he's a bad Bad. husband and father who is like way too into television. um, And that, that has to be fixed somehow. I I mean, I think Mm -hmm. it's all, I mean, I I think that there's actually not anything going on here beyond (laughs) the desire to like, parody yeah. a bunch of stuff and have them travel through you know uh satanic parodies of of our favorite shows and movies and stuff you've never heard of um so yeah i mean i don't i don't know if it's i think you're maybe asking too much of stay tuned i think phil i think That's you're looking possible. at this i think you're looking at this as an adult who expects stories to make sense and have thematic coherence <laughs> That's my and like egg yeah. all over my face i feel i feel ter- i feel terrible but i i guess you make a good point lewis in terms of um, it, it as I was watching this film, I also was thinking of stuff like Airplane and Naked Gun and those kind of things because those movies have also that kind of scattershot parody of things inside things that have subsequently turned into like your scary movies and your what have yous. And this feels like some sort of a kind of in between of those things because I did find myself like the some of the jokes some of the like tv parodies not so much the like the extended versions when they're actually inside them but like some of those those like one-off jokes were actually like i did i did sort of laugh three men and rosemary's baby is kind of funny great great bit great would would watch right like maybe maybe the best one yeah yeah you know northern overexposure sure a joke that like kind of works then sort of yes i'm I feel like part of the problem is they they arrange the jokes all wrong. Like their last yes. big pun joke is driving over Miss Daisy. Yeah. And that, that one was work. a joke I could have made at like seven. 
I could have been like, oh, driving over, Miss Daisy. And then, like, everyone would have been like, ha, 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 and patted me on the head. Yeah. I do not pat Stay Tuned on the head. That joke, <laughs> that joke, when we get to rating, I'm going to yeah. rate it, and I'm going to be like, I got to drop two points for that joke. Just remind me. I'm gonna well, I will remind you. It's also so lazy because they're worried we won't get it, and they have a billboard yeah, that says yeah. Driving Over Miss Daisy, which why would there be a billboard it, it, it for the movie? The it, yeah. And it's, I mean, I think that though it's, what's so fascinating watching it now is that, like, the range of things they're parroting doesn't actually make any sense. Yep. And I do think that it does, it is an interesting time capsule. It definitely captures what it was like to watch TV in the early 90s when you were truly channel surfing, which is an experience that people don't have anymore. Yeah. Um, so we get like, you know, Doogie Hauser in a hair club for men commercial, and it's like in a, you know, an old movie, and that feels like something that you'd actually see on TV, but it doesn't I feel like it's sort of a cheat that they parody movies also. Yep. I feel like the they parody Wayne's World, which is a sketch in from SNL that also was a movie that came out same year or it came out the same yeah. year, but it came out later, if I'm not mistaken. So I they're really they, parodying they're shooting it as they're shooting this, if I remember correctly. But... Right. So they're parodying the SNL sketch. Um it's also Correct. barely barely a parody, by the way. It's you know just... what? I'm wrong. It's nine. It's February of ninety two. I'm totally wrong. Wayne's World has come out in theaters. My apologies. I feel it's, like it's not really a parody. Yeah, is my yeah. point. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. I just feel I, like they were prescient in terms of they saw <laughs> Wayne's World coming. I want to ask a question about hell. Sure. <laughs> about hell? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I just? I just before you dive into that because I would love to. We will talk about hell very much so. Um, just to, I, I do want to unpack the 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 Dwayne's Underworld thing for a quick second. First of all. It is uh, it is uh, Lewis's background right now, and it's great. He's flanked perfectly by two impersonators of of yeah, Dwayne and yeah. Um, so I don't think that bit worked at all. Am I? Am I? Comp- I mean, I, I it, it was sort of weird because it's an extended bit, and by that I mean it gets an actual unpacking as opposed to these one off jokes, right? So we have. John Ritter inside the actual, you know, Dwayne's underworld thing. And I guess my point more than anything is it didn't feel, it felt a little mean spirited and a little kind of gross. And, and I don't know that that's like, that's not really Wayne's world, not, not to defend Wayne's world, but do you know what I'm saying? So you're, so you're upset with the parody on, on the grounds that you feel like it was unfair to Wayne and Garth, the real Wayne and Garth. I mean, I guess that's one way of putting it. I, I do feel a little bit like I understand satanic versions of things. I don't know. Maybe I'm being maybe I'm putting too much thought into this. It's just the jokes. You're, just you're, well, I ultimately. can tell you, you're, you're definitely putting too much thought into it. I agree that it doesn't work. I think it doesn't work because it's like barely a parody. And that turned. the level of physical harm in these are so variable Yes. And this one, this one's like you're gonna hit a, a red hot poker in the eye, which is <laughs> obviously quite would be a little. It's a little much for a kids movie. Um, yeah. he, avo- he avoids that fate, but um, it's true. yeah, it's it's weird. It's also very short and doesn't really yeah. change anything from the actual Wayne's World. Um, they changed yeah. the way they swing because it was it's already too adult for a kids movie, so they just kind of uh, changed the motion of their of their hips sure um, but there's also like a kind of a pedophilia joke kind of put in there where it's like he's 
talking about his daughter and like they have like a playboy of his wife it's yep. a weird thing. oh sure yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i guess i i guess when i watched it as a kid it seemed totally fine so now i'm you know um i do like the i worship satin part yes yes yeah yes so, a good a good bit one and, joke, a good, one and, a, joke. and a good segue into emily's questions about yes hell. please please hell yes Emily. okay so question. within the stay tuned universe yes. i'm gonna get all of us in trouble with this within the stay tuned universe Hell, okay. hell has like ramped up production seemingly supernaturally quickly yes. on a whole bunch of shows in a whole bunch of different genres. They're trying to make a little bit of everything just so they can make sure they can catch somebody. They all seem kind of a little bit low rent, like they're a little bit worse than they should be. Mm-hmm. Is hell Netflix is what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Like back it, then, it, back back then it plays as like channel surfing, but now you're like this is kind of like browsing Netflix a little bit. It is a little, a little bit like that. I, you know, it, it was. <laughs> so I do feel like we need to give a little bit of context because it's possible that our our listeners have not seen. That's, Stay that's tuned. I can't imagine, but go so ahead. I, I do want to give just a little bit of context so people understand where we're coming from, and then I feel like we can get deeper into Emily's uh, existential questions of. Uh, hell versus netflix uh salesman rob nabel i believe it's nabel right uh played by john ritter spends all his free time watching television to the exasperation of his wife helen played by pam dauber one day tv salesman spike played by jeffrey jones convinces roy to buy a satellite dish offering 666 channels the new addition to roy's home entertainment system sucks him and helen into hellvision a realm run by spike who is an emissary of satan for 24 hours, a couple must survive devilish parodies of TV programs if they want to return to reality alive. Stay tuned opened on August 14th, 1992 against Unforgiven, Single White Female, Death Becomes Her, Three Ninjas, A League of Their Own, and of course, The Mighty Ducks. God, what a weekend. <laughs> it would go on to make $12 million on a $15 million budget. Yes, Emily? No, no, I'm, I'm, oh. I'm, listening. I'm uh, listening. Stay tuned has 47% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 55 from audiences. The New York Times called the film a clever plotted movie based on a nifty satiric concept, but that most of its takeoffs show no feel for genre and no genuine wit. Uh, the Washington Post called the film wonderfully silly and a zippy action spoof. And Variety said the film was not diabolical enough for true black comedy, too scary and violent for kids lured by his PG rating and witless in its send-up obsessive TV viewing, a picture with nothing for everybody. It noted that the six-minute cartoon interlude uh, by the masterful Chuck Jones with Ritter and Dauber portrayed as mice menaced by a robot cat has a grace and depth sorely lacking in the rest of the movie. Wow. That's that nothing for everybody is so good. I'm, I love that so much. Great line, variety critic. I actually, yeah. I coincidentally have a Wikipedia page open to the Oscars mm. from that year. Oh, and yes, stay yes, tuned. Yes. Stay tuned. Received no nominations. Oh, no so, nominations. Uh, yeah. None. <laughs> this yeah. was was this pre visual effects? No, there's a visual nope. effects category. And okay, uh, the, for that year. Yeah. So that is so that is a true snub uh, as far was, as I'm concerned. It was won by Death Becomes Her. Sure. And then okay. Death Becomes Her defeated Alien Three and Batman Returns. And you know what? Interesting. Like this was this was before they had five in that category every year. So I bet like right. fourth was Stay Tuned. I bet Stay <laughs> Tuned was. was. There were people picketing outside. I bet being like Justice for no. <laughs> Stay Tuned. But I do think I, I, I obviously I agree that like you know whatever. But I do think this movie <laughs> is pretty. Um, I mean Peter Himes, who directed this film, who very much wanted to direct this film like 
championed for this movie was relentless in his desire to want to direct this film which i think is fascinating um he i mean this movie has vision this movie is well done in terms of from a production perspective it's well shot some of the effects are pretty decent i i think that like this is all just a long way of saying that i think that the the excitement for a director to be able to jump into all these different sandboxes right and to be able to play in all these different genres must be really enticing and for the most part are executed relatively well i just think the script isn't as good as it could be but i think that the execution of it is is... but the execution is also kind of baffling because as i was saying they could just parody tv shows like it's it's very weird that it like hinges so much on like film noir and westerns and uh and a fencing situation um i think that it i think it would feel less incoherent even if it were the same sort of energy and you know aggressiveness of the sheer number of parodies we get if it were like parodies of tv dramas and sitcoms and the uh charles manson leave it to beaver we get like a snippet of for the for the bike bit um i that you know as a tv fan would certainly be more appealing uh, yeah. Otherwise, it's kind of just like it's a lot of movie parodies, um, and I think if you look at the number of, I think the puns are 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 almost all movies. Um, there are obviously some exceptions. I am, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I I really, I, obviously, they earned the Three's Company joke. So kudos to them for that. Kudos to them. They they, yeah. they, they cast two TV stars. Yeah. Why is there no Mork and Mindy parody? Maybe maybe she said no. I don't think there were any standobbers working in the in the uh, think, on this film. I do I do think like watching it, I, it made me it made me a little sad because I was watching the Jeopardy high school reunion tournament and there was like a softball question about I Love Lucy, and mm. none of them got it because they're all like nineteen. And I was like, when I was nineteen, I knew a lot about I Love Lucy because I watched Nick at Night and I watched like I grew up on like Three's Company and all sorts of sitcoms from the 70s and 80s and obviously earlier and i was like now i'm just gonna be one of those people who's like kids today don't understand no, but you you're know. not wrong it's- but i but I, I like i made me a little nostalgic for um that era of channel surfing and like seeing old shows and i kind of wish the movie selfishly were more about that and less about like how do we get a salt and pepper music video into this I mean, oh, we're going to get so good. Pepper. It's great. We'll it's great. <laughs> it's great. You ever just, you ever yeah. just think about how people who are 19 now and could credibly be guests on this podcast were born in 2004. You ever just want to talk about that? that? I, don't I do. I That's do wonderful. think about that. Yeah. I, but can I, I do, I, I want to kind of uh, piggyback on what you were saying, Lewis, because I think there's something to the, the fact that what you're also speaking of are, are branded channels, right? That had like a lane that they stayed in. Right. And part of the problem now is these streamers are brandless, for lack of a better way of putting it. Right. Like it's, it's, you mentioned it earlier with Netflix or whatever the case might be. So I think what, what this all kind of comes to is I Love Lucy is readily available to any 19 year old that wants to watch it on Hulu or Paramount Plus or wherever it is. Um, they either A, don't know it's there or B, don't care to watch it, or whatever the case might be. It's, this or or they a- tried watching, realized the episodes were missing, and didn't realize that I had complained repeatedly on Twitter, um, and the episodes were reinstated, probably unrelated, but correct. I take credit for it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about this. Of- 
I'm thinking about this in terms of what you're saying, Phil. And like, mm-hmm. this is already outdated as parody because the era of like every channel has a specific niche thing yep. is just ramping up. And this just seems to be like the experience of between five or six channels where yep. they're all showing something like, like food network, which for my, my memory was like the network where everybody was like, Oh boy, they'll make a channel for everything. Now it was like 1993. So we're like right on the cusp of all of that happening. Yes. And you know, this movie is very much parodying a TV world that was already dying as it was being made much less the one we live in now. It's, you know, it does feel a little bit like, there's a good movie here just to be clear like i think that that there is um some interesting ideas and obviously some great jokes and what have you but it does feel a little too scattershot you know emily you tweeted the other day that this movie exhausted you which says something obviously because <laughs> emily is impossible to exhaust um so i i do think that it's sort of um it really kind of only has one joke a little bit, right? Like it only has one thing that it's kind of hitting you over the head with. And it's, it's interesting. Cause so I'm, I, I'm sure you guys maybe knew this, maybe our listeners do too. Tim Burton almost made this film. So this was the, he, he, he got this script. He was going to make this script, um, make this film and then ultimately decide to do Batman returns, which I, I'm personally thankful he did. I was going to say terrible choice, but sure. I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, he just, I, I only say he made the choices because like after the first one, he was very kind of over it. And they basically just backed up a brinkster to his house and said, you can do whatever you want, which is how we got Batman Returns. Um, a movie that clearly is completely unhinged and wonderful. But I understand why he would gravitate towards something like this because you watch this film and you do see sort of, shades of peewee's big adventure shades of beetlejuice to a certain degree like there is this kind of manic kind of craziness like beetlejuice as a script is basically makes no sense i don't know why there's why they go to saturn and there's all sorts of things that we don't really understand um but you're kind of along for the ride right and there's that intent and that filmmaker that you feel has their hands firmly planted on the wheel that's not how you feel here, right? Like you don't feel necessarily like Peter Himes really controls the tone of this film particularly well. You could, you could see where I think the problem is it's a great high concept, yeah. but like you have nowhere to go with it other than a long series of like parodies yep. and inherently like that's just, there's, there's no story there. You know, you can't yeah. really progress through it. So you've either got to develop a much more sophisticated, like, lore basically or you need to like you know narrow it into like one sort of parody of something and it just like it can't because there's nothing there's there's no mission the mission is to is to survive right and when i say like there's no puzzle to solve there's nothing that's actually like if there was some sort of a shitty macguffin or something that was inserted into this thing so that you're watching um why i can't remember their names pam and and the Nables. The Nables. If you, if Helen the Nables, Roy Nable. There Helen it is. Roy. Sorry, Roy and Helen. Perfect. Classic um, film characters. Yes. My apologies. If you if they had something that they needed to achieve or something that they needed to solve, I think it would have given you more to hold on to as opposed to just I need to survive. Or what if they made friends with a giant ant? Just spitball. That'd be cool. That too. is what what every movie needs. I I mean they kind of almost do. They have like they get the remote. Yes, suddenly yes, yes. very late in the movie i mean it's an 89 minute movie but um i just mean that, like, longer <laughs> so it, it does feel longer 
they sort of eventually find something. I, I don't know. I mean, the yeah, there's really no point beyond them surviving. The rules are also quite confusing, I must say, they because are. the um because their neighbors end up mm-hmm. in there for longer than 24 hours because there's already a news report about them missing. So it's yeah, time is weird. There. It's very confusing, and 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 yeah, that's it, a whole separate conversation. I don't think looking for plot holes in this movie is like really no, no. a good use of my time. But I, I do feel like yeah, they're kind of it's spinning its wheels. Um, it also like the parodies which we discussed are sort of like all over the place and feel a little bit off base. They start with a game show which feels that makes sense to me. It's mm-hmm. on the poster. Yep. Um, and then they go into wrestling, which yep. doesn't quite feel like what they're getting at. It's also not really a parody. It's just like they're wrestling. It's not really heightened. I mean, I've seen things like that in actual wrestling. I don't think it's anything that we like, you know, is like yeah. so shocking or hellish. Um, but it, it doesn't it instantly kind of like loses me. I mean, as a kid, you did not. Yeah. But watching it now where I'm like, I don't I don't really quite get what they're going for here or why the next step from game show isn't like some other kind of classic TV. Yeah. They're not connected to each other, which right. is maybe the, the most sort of um, discombobulating part of it. Like as a viewer, you're sort of like, how are we getting from one thing to the next? And the short answer is uh, the writers want them to <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just like, wouldn't it be fun if we did this and this and this, but like, there's also these moments where it feels like the movie is kind of treading water a little bit. Like when they're stuck in that shack, um, and the wolves are outside. I sound like a crazy person. Saying, they're stuck in a fishing shack, and there's wolves outside That's that want to northern kill them. northern overexposure. Yeah, was that what that was? That's northern yeah. overexposure. Yeah, famous oh, okay. northern exposure plot right there. <laughs> yeah, so northern northern I overexposure. I put that together. As, well, then the, the, we learn from the voiceover that it's a show about basically the plot of northern exposure, but someone freezing to death instead of like oh. anything else that happens. That's the. Uh, Okay, that, that over went over. I, I missed that part. My apologies, but I, I it was really so, key to the plot. But it's fine. <laughs> but it's <laughs> they kind of tread water there for a bit because they need to cut back to reality and have like the kid piecing together what's going on. So they need kind of these stop gaps where things, quote unquote, aren't happening on television, so that we're not missing stuff. If that makes it sense. also feels like they're in the French Revolution for a long time. ever, <laughs> a long time. <laughs> like that's the payoff. This movie pays off with a French Revolution TV movie. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, 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 there's choices that are made. We'll, we'll kind of jump through some of these because I do I do want to talk about them, obviously. But I do also want to give just a little bit of context for some of the production stuff. 1990, Jim Genoweer and Thomas S. Parker wrote the entire story for the film under the working title Terror Vision. That was the original title. Um, inspired by the idea of Evil Dead meets Monty Python. I mean, okay. I don't know that I necessarily. Well, I mean, do they do they write like a darker R-rated version of this? Because that also would I don't know that would work. I mean, that's a different yes. movie, and and would maybe work better. Quite honestly, if you were able to lean into the satanic horror components of it. But all that being said, script was purchased by Warner Brothers for seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars, which in nineteen ninety two is. It's a lot of money now. Uh, it, the studio had cast Richard Dreyfus and Tracy Ullman originally as Roy and Helen, um, but they dropped out because, I guess, additionally, between the two of them, it would have made the budget go up by half a million dollars, and they were like, they're too expensive. Um, 
I personally think the casting of two TV stars makes more sense, quite honestly. Like, I, it's I, great. Right? It's perfect. It's perfect. I do wonder if they didn't do a more Mindy parody to return to an early point because you just can't parody Robin Williams, you know, without oh. him there. Like his his yeah. there were there were a bunch of guys around this time who were trying to be Robin Williams and they all failed right. miserably. Except of course the guy that starred in the TV show Rhythm and Blues on NBC, which is a show that I inexplicably loved at this point in time <laughs> that we should do an episode about if it was aired in nineteen ninety two. I'm not sure it if it did. What's it about? It's about okay. So here's the premise. <laughs> this is gonna. This is you're gonna be like what? Uh, that that I love this show. It is about a white man yes. who gets a job at a like soul station that's all run by black people. And like, it's a kind of a clash of cultures thing where like he comes in and like, he has like, they're all learning lessons from each other, but he's also a Robin Williams type. So he can do a voice on the radio that makes him sound as though he belongs working at this station. And this is an aspect of the show. I did not totally understand what was going on. Cause I lived in a town that was all white people. And I just like, was like, I thought it was a funny radio station comedy and the guy did voices. Cause he did a lot of voices. He did the Robin Williams thing, sure. but yes, the premise is the premise is very racist. So we won't. Be doing that. That is super racist. And, um, and I was thinking that sounds less racist than I expected as you were describing it. Um, and and the star of that show is obviously still famous to this day. Yeah, no, yeah, um, obviously it's uh, Rob Williams, right? Uh, oh God, this did air in 1992. We could no, it's 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 uh, it's Roger Cabler. He plays Bobby Soul. Here's how the premise is explained on Wikipedia: Rhythm and Stews, Rhythm and Blues stars Cabler as Bobby Soul, a white man who gets hired on a black radio station after initially mis- being initially mistaken as a black man. Uh, the cast also includes Ron Glass. Like it, like it was a great cast. It was uh-huh. like there was a show in there about like that flips the usual like racial mm-hmm. dynamic of the American sitcom. Uh-huh. I don't believe that Rhythm and Blues found that show. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm open to talking about the pilot of Rhythm and Blues whenever you're ready. Emily. Let's re- let's ready. remake Rhythm and Blues, Phil. Let's, let's not pitch it. Do let's that. take it out let's around not town. Do that. <laughs> let's let's make it let's make it sensitive for this time. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah. The other person that was apparently considered for the role of Ron was Dan Aykroyd, which makes sense ish, I guess. But again, like I, I, I stand by the fact that casting two TV stars is the way to go. Well, but... I, I yeah, it absolutely makes sense. The casting feels really clever to me. Yeah. But then then it's the whole thing of like if this felt like a parody of TV shows, that would be great, but it's not really. I agree. It doesn't commit fully to the TV thing, which is weird considering obviously it's premise. It seems to me a little bit of like, the studio probably just got scared, right? And they were just like, people are going to the movies. They're going to pay money to see this at the movies. Do they want to be seeing TV shows? Like it's this whole like disconnect of like that there was some sort of church and state going on between TV and film you know, for the longest time, obviously. And I just wonder whether or not they were like, we need more movies in this or people are going to forget they're seeing a movie or something. It's just, yeah, I, I, I get that. I think it's it's interesting because like, if the thing that we're supposed to be afraid of and at this time that it's the movie sort of exploiting is like, we're watching too much TV. It's like, were people watching too many Westerns? Were they <laughs> no. watching too many like I agree. old Hollywood movies? I think I think it's more like they're watching junk. And I think yeah. the, the the movie doesn't commit to that idea that like the the you know of of this excess of you know tv we don't care about i mean i think we barely get a glimpse of a home shopping network which i'd love to see more of um i think the commercials like some of them kind of work but it doesn't really yeah it doesn't feel like it's 
at all I, really yeah, that era of committed to the bit weird right i i feel like if there was a home shopping network bit it would be like m night Shyamalan's cameo in knock at the cabin like that would be <laughs> yes. that would be i do i do want to push back against this a little bit because i feel like the things that we spend extended amounts of time in are tv parodies where we spend quite a bit of time in the game show we spend quite a bit of time in the wrestling match. And like the wrestling match is not a TV show per se. Yep. We spend quite a bit of time in Northern Overexposure. We spend quite a bit of time in the Chuck Jones cartoon, which granted that would have originated as a movie short, but like the, by then was so heavily associated with TV. And we spend uh, like a lot of time. I, I do feel like the French Revolution thing kind of straddles the line, but it does have sort of a PBS masterpiece. Yeah, that, that I'm it. fine with. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like the 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 one-off jokes are almost all movie parodies and they really feel like there was a script and then the studio was like hey we got to get some movie jokes in there so just you know just toss yeah. something It's I guess also there's a part of me too that's like I I'm trying to kind of articulate this idea that like not understanding what people get from television if that makes sense there's like a just a big misunderstanding of like that we just want to be like lemmings or drones or something like that and we just want to kind of sit there in front of this boob tube which i think is very much kind of a 90s mentality you know what i mean late 80s early 90s well it's almost i mean but it's almost getting at something different because it's like he has a terrible job he hates his life he watches these movies and acts like he's a character yeah. in the movie and tries to kind of reclaim his former glory. It's not explored at all. Too, by his wife. Right. And then yeah. he like, right. And then like he, he, what they call her in the wrestling match, Helen, the Harridan. Um, yeah. they, they, um, but he like, it seems like he's getting something out of TV that is not actually explored. Correct. Um, and that sort of co- comes into play with the, like the, you know, the film noir, Yep. Where he's like, you know, a sexy, suave, uh, private eye. What is it? Private dick. It, there's a there's a dick joke in there that's not PG. I mean, it is PG. It's not a it's, PG joke. You're you're making a really interesting point because the the movie does feel like it starts from this place with Roy's character of he's emasculated. Uh, he he's obviously disconnected from his family, his wife, his kids his only quote-unquote friends or he only feels empowered when he's watching television and then there's this notion within the movie with sorry with within the tv shows within the movie that he desperately wants to be a hero of which he never really becomes until like i guess the very end when the kids throw him the sword kind of through the satellite dish so he can fight like <laughs> you, know. you, you seem frustrated by this natural plot development yeah. you know i read that amc tried to develop this as a as a series I'm and sure. i was like uh, does anyone remember this but when you describe it that way it sounds a lot like the pilot for breaking bad <laughs> so <laughs> but it's it is i mean it really is this sort of uh, this guy that's that's lost his joie de vivre, he's lost his spine, he's lost his whatever, and the only thing he cares about is watching television. And then, in theory, throughout this journey, I guess we're supposed to believe that this guy finds the life he wants, reconnects with his family and wife. But it's it's sweaty. I don't really. It's not. It. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're getting at what they're um, the, what they may be more yeah. implying, but it's yes. not really. About there. that, I I do kind of want to know how they would do it as like an an AMC series. <laughs> I think that like because lots of TV shows will do episodes that are you know I'm just thinking of like Supernatural did one that was like 
I'm trying to think of shows that aren't supernatural right now, but obviously none come to mind. Obviously, like Kevin can wait, or Kevin can't wait, or Kevin goes. What was the Kevin? What's the Kevin, Kevin show? Kevin can go fuck himself. Kevin, Kevin can go, go fuck, fuck himself. himself. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was uh, was basically this uh, yeah. our version of this, uh, yeah. and and it's it's an interesting concept that I think if you you know I think this movie is much more heavily on the side of like the developed part of it is like Hellvision. And the yes. people who work there, which is not not interesting, um, but I don't think that the non hell side has too much on its mind. I yeah. so, go ahead, Emily. Please. I I like I'm thinking about um, I this is just a question I have. Mm-hmm. Do you think TV is better at making fun of TV and movies are better at making fun of movies? Because I think that's true. Yes, but I haven't like done a lot of great because like yeah. This around this time, The Simpsons is at its creative peak and is so good at mocking television in like ways that are incisive and funny. And like Simpsons is pretty good at making fun of movies. They have some good movie parodies, but I would argue they're not as good at that as they are at making fun of television. So like, yeah, there are some movies that I think do a good job of like really digging deep into the kind of psychosis of television, if you will, or like the. I'm thinking of movies like Network. I even kind of like uh, the TV set, that Jake Kasdan movie. Like, I think there are movies that can make fun of the business of television. But when it comes to, like, actually being, like, doing parodies of television, I don't think they're particularly good at it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Network is totally different. You yeah, know, it's, it's like a it's like, a, it's like yeah. a satirical take on the medium. Yes. That's and what I'm yeah. that's a thing that I think movies are, are good at. But, yes. like, a, a parody of television programming? Yes. No. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, I want to take a quick second just to talk about Peter Himes as a filmmaker because <laughs> I, I, I looked legend. up Wikipedia. I, I had I had no idea. This is what this is legend an outlier in a quite interesting filmography. I'm not going to go through all of them, but like you know, the big ones. Uh, Capricorn One was probably his first big film. Uh, then he's got the Star Chamber in '83. He does the 2010 remake, the sequel to 2001, which is interesting uh the monster squad he was an executive on he didn't direct that but the presidio narrow margin what you're noticing here (laughs) is that he does thrillers uh that he does sort of action movies uh he's not a comedy director (laughs) um so this movie is a real outlier because like this happens he does time cop two years later which is a big success the jean-claude van damme film he does another jean-claude van damme film sudden death he does the relic that weird penelope ann miller um uh oh my god who's the other guy in it i'm trying uh sizemore that's who it is uh in 99 he's got a legit great action supernatural end of days is a good movie the arnold schwarzenegger fights the devil movie actually a pretty good all movie. i all i remember about that movie is when is the trailer i think i probably mentioned this in the stigmata episode yep that yep. we did was in the trailer when it said 1999 and the it flipped upside down it said 666 and i was like oh my god the oh, signs shit. have been there the signs have been there all along <laughs> We didn't. We were warned. Yep. Um, yeah. I'll I, I, that every every yeah. time you have me on, I will mention that that from the trailer of End of Days. Here's what's interesting. There's a thread. It seems with your appearances, and the thread is <laughs> Satan. I, I honestly like had not considered that until this moment, but I do think this is a better developed sense of hell and I agree. what people might do there, sure. which apparently is work for you know. Uh, I don't know what it Hellvision is exactly. It's like every it's a uh, Netflix. It's Netflix. It's Netflix. They work for Netflix. Yeah, why lie? They work but for. But I Netflix. do think that 
it is interesting because and not to not to make this about stigmata versus stay tuned because these are two very different films but no let's fucking do this it's happening (laughs) but stigmata is also kind of nonsensical in a different way right like it's going this stay tuned is not supernatural particularly like it's certainly heightened it's it's i don't know that supernatural is the right word do you think it's grounded in reality no i don't think it's grounded in reality but i don't know that i would like it does when i think supernatural i think like magic monsters uh you know what i mean like that's not really you don't think you don't think it you don't think kitchen sink drama like like stay tuned well this is exactly well this is this is is like bureaucratic because you're getting like contracts and like they're they're looking for a loophole and yeah yeah no i get it this is a fucked up weird game right like this is like a weird puzzle game type thing i don't know i feel like i feel like extended christian mythology which i would place this under i guess (laughs) counts counts as fantasy i feel like some of the earliest fantasy texts would like have the devil as a character so yeah i you know i think um i think that when the apocalypse after the apocalypse when someone rediscovers the bible i'm gonna do my best to get stay tuned inserted as apocrypha like it'll be great Uh Uh this this movie also presents the idea that god or some sort of force in heaven knows this is all happening and is fine with it because totally they fine. they have rules, um, which is interesting. I think this movie is critical of uh, of God in a in a I fascinating love, way. I love how often there's this plot of like hell doesn't isn't getting enough souls, yep. and we gotta step it up. Yep. We gotta invent this way to get more souls, and it's just like how like it feels it feels like everything else about this movie should be about how television is dragging people to hell like that is the implicit thing of the subtext but it just is like oh we you know what we got to kill people inside a television so they can go to hell and we can claim their souls it just it yeah i'm now i'm getting hung up on the eschatology of it so let's let's move well, no, on. I, I do think it's, i mean that is interesting that there's like a trope of like hell needs souls it's like mars needs moms you know it's just a yep. thing that yep. we accept as reality <laughs> It's, um, it's just it's it's what it is i so emily i want to uh pivot this to s- something else that this film reminded me of um and it's something close to your heart which is um christmas uh this movie reminds me a little bit of scrooged mm-hmm. um you know i i'm thinking of some of their tv shows mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm, within mm-hmm. that movie had a similar mm-hmm. kind of vibe to them and yeah. also sort of that him being thrown into all these different things like it does kind of have a little bit of that vibe to it as well uh, I did I did a quick search on some academic sites. It does not appear that any theology students have ever written a paper about Stay Tuned, which is too bad. Um, this this film does, it does kind of feel like Scrooge. Scrooge is yeah. not my favorite movie, but I will say this. It's a lot better than Stay Tuned. So uh, it's got that going for it. But yeah, this like this thing of when a movie tries to capture the feeling of watching TV, which some of these do. Scrooge, not as much, but definitely sure. like, there is just like a, a just your brain like rejects it in some weird way. Although uh, we saw a lot of people on Twitter saying this played all the time on cable, and I can imagine it working perfectly in that scenario. Did you watch it a lot on HBO, Lewis, when you were? I I, a, a I think that you? I I think it was a rental slash. I, I it was not a rental. It was on a VHS tape that sure, had been sure. taped for me. There's no way that, um, yeah, this was something that I watched constantly. I think that um. You're right about TV parodies. I'm thinking about in the movie Bros, which I enjoyed. There's that Queer Eye parody, and it feels so fake. It feels such such like an SNL joke. And it's like, I just think it's really hard to do TV parody in a movie and have it feel 
real and have it not feel like kind of cheap and like a little bit of a, a throwaway gag. And yeah. so, you know, I think that while I want this to be more about TV, I don't know that, that would be it would be helpful if the whole thing were just like, you know, TV shows and jokes about TV shows. I think it would maybe play fine yeah. on on cable, but less so on a movie theater. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's it's weird because, like, there does seem to be a little bit of... of... So I was thinking about the the John Ritter and Pam Dauber of it all as I was watching. Stan it. Dauber, I'm a Stan Sorry, Dauber. Stan Dauber, my apologies. Yeah. Um, I and I was thinking about. I mean, it's it's people have talked about this all the time about how hard it is for for TV actors to transition to to features and how rare that is. And part of that has to do with the fact that I think even Clooney said it that like, you know, when you're on their TV in their house every week, you're their friend. But when you're on a giant screen that they have to go to the movies to see, you seem larger than life and you don't seem as approachable. You don't seem as sort of, you know, living in their house, for lack of a better way of putting it. And I do think that there is something about this kind of jarring that this film has kind of got trying to have his cake and eat it too, where it's got these two TV stars trying to be movie stars in a movie about TV that also has movie parodies. Like, it's just not fully in a baked into one camp that makes it also feel a little bit kind of um, just kind of neither fish nor fowl. Listen, we, I know that we run like the careers of most of the actors that yeah. we, we talk about sure. and like, we should do John Ritter. Cause he's actually a kind of like yes. a, the height of his movie stardom at this point. Right. Cause he's coming will, off the problem childs, but I want to run through Pam Dauber from Mork and Mindy on. Well, Stan Dauber should obviously run through. Stan, yeah, Dauber. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she does Mork and Mindy. That's big hit, you know. Yeah. Uh, she hit. does the uh, the TV movie Remembrance of Love, which, of course, we all remember. She's a voice on the Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley Fawn's Hour. Um, she, <laughs> know uh, you know, she does Through Naked Eyes, Last of the Great Survivors, This Wife for Hire. Of course, we know all those movies. Wild Horse is the TV movie. She's in an episode of The Twilight Zone. Then she does, of course, the classic American Geisha uh which i'm oh, sure is no. in, not insensitive <laughs> at all uh quiet victory the ch- then she's there's this show she was on for two seasons that was like kind of a hit that nobody remembers called my sister sam that's like impossible to see but like she was on that for a couple seasons and then uh she's in a tv movie called do you know the muffin man in 1989 uh the face of fear Did in she? 1990 yes yes Did and she know rewrite the muffin man? She does. She does. That's that's the plot is that she finds the muffin man and comes to know him uh, and then rewrite for murder. So, like, my point is, I believe this is her movie debut. 
I believe this is her feature film. No, wait. She's in Robert Altman's A Wedding in a small part. So okay. she goes from okay. A Wedding to Stay Tuned. This is her first like, starring role in a movie. Yeah, exactly. I... And then I don't believe she's been in a movie since. Uh... Once you once she's... you've once you've peaked, you don't really need to, you know, <laughs> let it let it go. She's in the movie. She's in the 1999 movie. I'll remember April, which maybe you covered on the old show, Phil, but it's, it's no, a Haley Joel not. Osment. That's not vehicle. a movie that exists. I, you know, it is interesting. Cause like, I don't know. I, I, I do think that on some level you do get kind of as a viewer, you get programmed that this person can only be this thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it is tough when you play Fox Mulder for, 150 episodes or however many episodes like how do you see david duchovny as anything other than fox Mulder? how do you how do you break out of that stuff and i do i mean pam dauber's performance on mork and mindy is great she is great mm-hmm. on that show so the like problem, i get it to some degree the problem with her is that her star persona is reacting and right. that's great on television yeah. it's hard to make play in a movie yeah. unless like she wanted to jump in and do a bunch of roles where she plays a supportive wife, but she had the misfortune of being alive in the eighties and nineties when those roles were going to like fucking Meryl Streep because yeah. they were like, that was like all the female yeah. parts yeah. that were being written. Like you look at um, honey, I shrunk the kids again, a movie I keep invoking yes. the wife character there is played by Marsha Strassman of uh, I'll welcome back Cotter fame. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, this was the kind of thing. If you were in that zone where like your job was reacting to a guy who was much bigger, and doing more traditionally funny things you kind of got stuck with stuff like this and you know that that was uh that was a that was what really i i pam you deserve better come on the show we'll talk about beethoven you you know what her best i think her best performance within this movie her best scene in this movie is the scene on emily's background when she plays a cartoon mouse she's great she does a lot of voiceover she's so good yeah, she's and I do think she. I, it is interesting because um, uh, this is going to be a, a bizarre tangent, but but bear with me. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I did uh, Kramer versus Kramer uh, and Marriage Story on on the Patreon for double features, and the opening of Kramer versus Kramer and Stay Tuned are not all that dissimilar in the sense that Pam Dauber, similar to Meryl <laughs> Streep, is like <laughs> is like. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just well, yeah no go ahead great <laughs> it's like I'm done right like she's just like I, I can't deal with this marriage anymore I'm walking away from this marriage and she's good in that scene in terms of juggling the drama and the comedy of what she's trying to sort of navigate and I do think that that right into the game show and that scene that they have together where they're quizzed about their fidelity and their relationship and and is interesting and her like, I don't want to be too heady about this, but I'm just going to say that I do think she's great in that scene. They're both good in that scene because it's the most raw and exposed of their marriage, kind of for the rest of the movie, quite honestly. It's like they're really put into the the sort of the lion's den in the beginning of like, are you cheating? Why are you guys so apart from each other? Um, her being the one that figures out, she figures out a lot of this shit, quite honestly, in terms of how to get out of most of these she things. figures that out way, way too quickly, in my opinion. Sure. There's sure. actually, I believe there are only two questions in the game show. Correct. Correct. And she immediately understands that the second one's a yeah. trick question. Um, I feel like they maybe cut something from that because that yes. sequence yes. is weirdly brief. And also they don't react much to being 
on a game Dangled show over yeah well yes that too, they yes. seem like they instantly kind of adapt to that um i'm just sorry i'm just like thinking yeah. about what a fun episode it must be talking about kramer versus kramer and marriage story back it was to a great back. episode i'm sure it was great i'm sure it was a barrel of laughs but i <laughs> i think that uh you know, i mean she's not given much to do here with that i mean it doesn't really seem like we don't really know why their marriage is so bad other than that he watches tv a lot she says he's jealous of her success which like he probably is but we don't get very much of that aside from her saying it and then unfortunately the, the, the climax of this movie uh is him saving her and she her literally being a damsel in distress which isn't great um especially considering how obviously smart and and effective she is in the first two thirds of the movie you're sort of like why does she have to be relegated to this kind of damsel because the, the movie is about returning them to traditional gender roles and clearly Ooh. he's not emasculated anymore now he's a, a, a you know clint eastwood and and uh then he fences so yeah he's sort of a um what's the what's the famous swashbuckler emily errol flynn that's it um so john ritter you mentioned earlier emily was sort of at the if he if he was going to fully break out as a movie star or a movie actor, this is kind of in this radius. He's got this movie that I forgot even existed, which I've never seen, but weirdly have the poster burned in my brain. It's going to be called Skin Deep, this uh, Blake Edwards movie that he was in. Do you know this movie? I've never seen it. Uh, it's, an eight, it's an 89 movie about this... Um, author who has a weakness for alcohol and beautiful women jesus christ um, sounds amazing sounds great um and yeah the poster is 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 uh to describe a sort of john ritter in an all-white suit in the arms of a bunch of supermodels um and the the, the tagline is the comedy that glows in the dark anyway that movie existed um <laughs> it it had a budget of eight million and it made 45 million dollars so that movie was a hit then he does Problem Child and Problem Child 2 back-to-back. And then we'll also be talking about him in Noises Off at some point, Emily, uh, which was in 92 as well. Um, but that's a big ensemble, so it's not really a John Ritter vehicle per se. And then he's in everyone's favorite film, North, in 94, um, a movie that only did wonders for everyone's career. So, I don't even heard it. Gonna... <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Emily. I'm sorry. I'm furious that the Blake Edwards final film, uh, Switch, is 91 because i feel like that was the advertisements for that were a seminal moment in my coming of age which is a good movie though it is i kind of remember switch being a good movie i remember alan barkin being good in that movie but i could be wrong is it switch is it a bdsm thing or is it no no it's uh it's a a body swap movie okay jimmy smith dies and is reincarnated as alan barkin to like solve a murder i don't think it's jimmy smith who dies somebody dies i've never seen it i was not allowed to see it for some i I, i'm just i'm not trying to be like you you you've mentioned um, movies you weren't allowed to see and i all i i have to say that the movie that i was not allowed to see when i was a kid was problem child because Ooh. that kid was just too problematic. problematic. So That's person... how my parents felt about The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> so the person that she swaps is someone that I've never heard of. His name's Perry King. He's only in one scene. And he's this, like, promiscuous misogynist who's murdered at the beginning of the movie and essentially body swaps with one of his former lovers because he drowns in a hot tub. Um, and it's a whole thing. But in Purgatory, God communicating through male and female voices gives Steve one chance at redemption, and he's returned to Earth alive and told that he must find a soulmate who truly loves him. 
but he has to do it in the body of no. Owen Barkin. Let's take this out and pitch it around town. We'll have to do the modern <laughs> update of Switch. It'll be great. There were a lot of there were a Jimmy lot Smith of is the man body, a lot of body swap comedies of that era, and a lot of like mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. goes to heaven and gets sent back. Oh yeah, movies like a lot, a lot of them. One of my uh, one of what was the one where the where the where is it Robert Downey Jr. Yes, Heart and uh, Souls, have it, have it, Hearts and Souls. Yes, there's that. Love them. There's movie. there's the other one. Uh, Oh, chances are. Yeah, that. Yes. These are all movies that I watched as a kid. Chances are was, uh, yeah, where, um, it's uh, oh my god, um, what's her name from um, Moonlighting? Sybil Shepherd. Yes. Sybil Shepherd. Someone's someone's getting reincarnated. Her her dead yes. husband. Her dead husband's reincarnated. But it doesn't get yeah. the like whatever makes you forget your past life. Yeah, no, I, Correct. I, uh, these and are all so birds in my of, memory. It's a whole thing where Robert Downey Jr. is is has her. Uh, dead lover's soul in yeah, him, yeah. so she falls in love with him, and it's a whole thing. These were both Jonathan, those Robert Downey Jr. movies were were big for me. Jonathan Glazer remade it his birth, and it was much creepier. <laughs> um, but this is all just to say, John Ritter, to your point, Emily, sort of had a moment, and then ultimately comes back to TV and does uh, what's the what's the show that he does for a few years? Eight um, Simple Rules, the one that yes, he, he made uh, yes, upon yes. his death. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he did that for 31 episodes. Um, he did a ton of TV, obviously. He was, you know, he, he, you know, notoriously was very creepy on Felicity uh, at one point. Played and Ben's Buffy. Dad. And Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he was great. I mean, he, I, I also just, and this is, this kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier, but sort of that state and church, the church and state of like TV and movies being very separate. But like, there's nothing wrong with being a great TV actor that people love. Like we have to stop that whole nonsense but i think that also has changed a lot because tv and movies are far less you know there there's a lot more overlap now and certainly i mean it used to be a big deal obviously for movie actors to do tv which is now the norm and then you have like you have like paul mescal going from a hulu series to like movie superstardom but it's a hulu series so it's like doesn't kind of feel the same as like a sitcom um yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I do think there is something about obviously being a TV star, a sitcom TV star, um, that is unique. Uh, I also think, I don't know that John Ritter ever had like a chance to really go beyond that. Uh, cause even Problem Child, which I haven't seen again because I was banned, feels kind of like a sitcom y type thing. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Problem Child, um, other than obviously, this kid was a real problem um was that uh it is that it was a big hit and it really kind of put him i also did you know who wrote problem child uh scott alexander and larry krasuski (laughs) which is incredible um but uh, isn't that like their first isn't that like their first credit i believe it is and dennis dugan directed it um problem child was put him squarely in like dad territory right and I think that, you know, hindsight being what it is, my guess is that after the success of Skin Deep, where he could play this kind of like suave, whatever, Blake Edwards type role, why would you slot him into like the dad role? Because then then he just never gets out of it. He's dad forever. Like there's just nothing that can be done about it. Problem Child is 81 minutes, by the way, with credits. Guys. I think I think my parents wouldn't let me see that because um, as an adoptee, movies mm. about adopted kids being terrors. Mm was I like see. a was a real point of contention sure, the, sure. The, they thought it would be traumatic maybe it would have been it probably would have been 
It's amazing um, how quickly they turn around the sequel to uh, to Problem Child. Just just for what it's worth, uh, Problem Child one comes out uh, July of ninety. Problem Child two comes out literally in I believe June of ninety two. <laughs> like they're just like, how quickly can we get uh, a second Problem Child? Because it's about them getting another kid, obviously. It's... I can't believe that Problem Child three took so long to come out. And like the what the the premise there was, we're going to add a problem child who's a girl, and like of course no, that's problem child two. But, no, well, no problem child three. A problem child three is called Junior in Love. Okay, I get oh, it. I All right, what so is. he's met he's met a girl and he's in love. John Ritter didn't come back for some yeah. That's reason. why I'm like that's not on this filmography. <laughs> I also forgot that John Ritter was in Sling Blade. Anyway. Yeah, I, it's it's a fascinating thing. Um, I I do think though that. It it is kind of once you've decided to cast these two TV stars, you know you you've locked yourself into something that I'm not sure the movie fully commits to. Um, I want to talk about. Uh, I don't want to get into the logic of this movie, but I do just want to say, this dish activations are arbitrary. I don't know why this dish all of a sudden wakes up. I don't know why all of a sudden it decides to like try to suck things into it because there's like three other times when it happens. I'm just like, why is this happening? But anyway. It seems like bad technology because why would you want random people and things getting sucked in? You have to then account for them also. Correct. Don't know. Very, very confusing. Very confusing. Um, the Star Trek Next Generation thing was well done. Like, again... The execution of these different genre things is fun. I'm glad they didn't stay there too long, but like the makeup and the costumes and the set, like all that stuff. Well, it's also well done because I, this movie, Jeffrey Jones is so scary. Um, And I, and I say that, you know, taking aside his, the allegations against him. Mm -hmm. um, I, he's so scary. And, and I, I, it's weird because this was like a movie that I watched a lot as a kid. I think of my, you know, I think I was like, pretty skittish as a kid but i also grew up in the 90s when like there was a lot of entertainment that the movies that i liked were pretty scary and felt like they were still kid appropriate Mm -hmm. like it was this it was gremlins 2 it was i watched temple of doom a lot like these are things that are obviously scary and traumatizing but um you know i was really into but like watching it i remember thinking jeffrey jones was scary um the scene where they're going through into hell and yep. his giant face pops up. Yep. Very frightening. Um, Very frightening. And I feel like part of why that Star, that Star Trek parody is so scary is because they all have his face. Um, and it's very <laughs> alarming. He's a scary guy. Yeah. It's really unsettling. I, 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 it, it's one of those things where it's tough to look at Jeffrey Jones now, obviously, post very upsetting allegations um but also like he always also okay, i mean I, I, I believe he was convicted in yeah they're not allegations anymore they're but crimes. but i was trying to Actual i was crimes. trying to not get sued but yeah, yeah i mean um it, it is interesting he always kind of played a creep like he, the, the roles he played were never particularly you know um warm and cuddly by any means the ones that i think of that immediately come to mind are your beetlejuices your ferris bueller's day off um i guess on deadwood he was fine i don't know anyway uh, that was po- that was that was post allegations yeah he's quite about- he's he's quite good on deadwood and he's also like yeah that was after he'd been well, the movie think, was after right when he no he no, no no the, sh- and, the show oh, really yeah yeah he I, was I arrested had, in 2002 i was oh, shocked wow. to learn this i had no idea that was post arrest um you know what you know what movie he's like uh, a lovable mm. dad in is mom and dad saved the world 
Is he in that? He's the star. He's the he's dad. Oh, well, I can't wait for us to John, talk John about Lovett, that one. John Lovitz is the uh, is the villain in that. Um, ah, that but, sounds uh, so good. But that sounds uh, so good. But Jeffrey Jones and Terry Gar are the uh, are the are the parents. Uh, great movie. But yeah, I mean, I think he is really creepy, um, and I think he just kind of adds this. I don't know this level of unease to everything. Where when he shows up in those parodies, it's always you know a little bit creepier. Yeah, he's it. It is it is definitely unsettling when it was certain. I mean, when he's got the the data, the data makeup from Star Trek: The Next Generation with the eye, like there's just stuff where you're just like, and when he's Worf, it's just like I don't I don't like this. Um, no part of this do I like. Um, so I feel like now there's two things. Well, there's a couple things, but I, I, the the Salt and Pepper music video, aka the climax of this movie this movie chose to basically because like it's salt and pepper into back into french revolution so it's kind of like it ping pongs between those two things i, I thought it was way. i think it's salt and pepper into the western and then there's also he's, the swashbuckling there's thing. a swashbuckling. yeah but he's yeah. but this is this is when pam dauber is tied to is tied to the tracks yes and but he goes on ritter the, is yes. yeah he goes back in um, Salt and Pepper yes. is this is post post French Revolution. He's already Correct. been saved by the Correct. Deus Ex Machina. Correct. Um, I didn't realize that this song was for the movie. I thought it was <laughs> like a song that like had come out that they used, but it was a song for yeah. the movie yeah. that was later this released movie, on their greatest hits. They were hoping to get an Oscar. This movie has a banger, has a banger soundtrack. It really honestly. does. I like <laughs> looked up the soundtrack. It's on Spotify. Yeah, I I think that the I I will say first of all, I noticed the soundtrack was released oddly recently. The soundtrack was released. It said like on Wikipedia like 2011. Am I might maybe misremembering. There's something where I was like, this came out much after the movie came out. Um, I guess people were clamoring for the Stay Tuned soundtrack. Spotify claims it's a 1992 release. Okay, but, that's also know, that's yeah. also possible. Wikipedia has failed me before. Um, the music video part, I think, is interesting because, first of all, it's very much of the time. It made me think of the Vanilla Ice moment right. from Secret of the Ooze. Sure. Sure. Um, yes, but, al- but also, like, every movie needed a rap break. But also, it feels much more like a TV thing because it's, like, the era of music videos on MTV... Uh, and so that kind of felt more organic than a lot of the other stuff they did. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. We, they cut out to like a big wide shot where they do kind of the MTV logo. So like it, it feels as though they kind of needed to kind of be like, it's TV. Don't worry. <laughs> um, it, it's the song's great. You know, Emily sent us the music video, which we watched. Um, and the music video feels like they literally just like lifted this sequence out of the movie. Like it, it it's it almost like it's kind of bizarre, but it's a, it's a great song. It's a real bang. I, you know, we earlier, we talked about the television yeah. class television show, rhythm and blues. I got to say whatever costume John Ritter's wearing in the music video sequence, I'm like, um, you know, I think it's questionable. Let's just put it that <laughs> I, way. When, when I, he showed up, I was like, no, I, I really had a moment when I was like, is he in blackface? Because you really like there's a you really can't tell it's the so stars. Close. I don't think I don't think he is, but like no. it looks like he is at least momentarily. I do he think it's the I think it's the lighting. It's the lighting, is, but yeah. it feels intentional, and I don't like that. Well, the hair, yeah, no, is well, yeah, no, that's not that's right. At the very least, it's insensitive. Um, <laughs> it hasn't it hasn't aged well. You know what else hasn't <laughs> aged well about this movie? Um. <laughs> 
the um the parodies at the end i was like writing them down are the ones that i thought aged well murder she likes and golden ghouls are great um those are perfect i would argue that unmarried with children has not aged well why is that a satanic idea however david dukes of hazard has aged very well very well and is in fact um almost prescient in terms of how we now view maybe dukes of hazard and the iconography uh, of that show so um you know well done all around except for the part that i just criticized as being yeah. uh, a little weird it's it's a weird i i really wish that i could, the movie opens with credits that i could only sort of describe as like superman-esque of just sort of these big kind of colorful 3d things coming at you in this joyous score and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, this movie's going to be just a, a, a ride. And then it's just it's just not. It is kind of pummeling by the end. I kind of agree with Emily that, like, once we get through, it's like you've got the Star Trek Next Generation, Driving Miss Daisy, Three's Company, all kind of in quick succession as you're kind of bouncing through. It gets pretty exhausting. Like, you do find yourself just being like, you're, you're, you're kind of kicking the shit out of me at a certain point. They're also not like, I think... Yeah. You're talking about, like, you know, I think of sitcoms and TV in general, I guess, especially, you know, of that time before as being more colorful than anything we get here. It's very drab. The the different strokes joke, which is, like, obviously tasteless and and bad, but, like, it's also just, like, I think that joke should look like different strokes looks. It's just, like, two guys, two old guys sitting on the couch. The the 30-something to life joke um, where they're in prison um is kind of kind of fun but none of it looks like a a tv show they didn't really try to kind of ape the the visuals or the style of shows so when they do the three's company parody it's like almost shocking because it's just three's company and that's a very colorful show um and that feels more more of the of the of the kind of tone that i want from this sort of thing no i i fully agree with you I, i as soon as i found out that Tim Burton wanted to direct this, it really kind of changed my whole perspective on it a little bit. Cause I did sort of, that was kind of like an aha moment a little bit for me where I was like, yeah, I can see someone who would wrap like Tim Burton would wrap his arms around all of this, like odd dark humor in a way that would make it feel just slightly more palatable. And also just a little bit like, I don't know. I, I I was thinking about like even Mars Attacks to a certain degree where you're just sort of like, he's just, he's willing to go there and go kind of full tilt in a way that just feels so much more um, pleasant, which makes me think of the other thing that I want to bring up, which is Pleasantville, which is sort of obviously the opposite of this movie in a lot of ways. It's one show instead of a bunch of shows and it's the kids getting sucked into it and all of that. And it's very good. And it's good. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's good. Um, it, it. I mean, I I would argue that that Gary Ross gets a little over his skis at the end with the whole coloreds and the what have yous. Like it, it certainly starts to get a little bit. Oh, too... you don't think that's a sensitive metaphor? I think that's. <laughs> I, do, I do not. <laughs> but but it's it, up until that point, that movie is great. Um, mm-hmm. and that is sort of a loving. It's a real love letter to television, whereas this feels like it wants to kind of say like no and yes it wants it wants both it's it's kind of so the, the other thing that i want to ask you guys about um is this rottweiler um th- there's a rottweiler in this film 
that I think is supposed to be like a villain or something. But like most of the shots that they cut to it, the dog doesn't look menacing at all. It just kind of looks like it's just like panting and it's just kind of there. And I just feel it, like the, yes, Emily, it looks like you. It feels like the Rottweiler is a thing that was in like the second draft. And we're on like draft 16 and there's been so many changes made that people forgot to take like just mentions of the Rottweiler out. So then like the director, like Peter Himes was like, there's a Rottweiler in this scene. They're like, well, it's in the script. And he's like, I guess we got to do that. So it really does feel like a random script artifact or they digitally replaced the golden retriever. with the Rottweiler. I was going to say they probably cut the scene where the Rottweiler mauls the golden retriever. <laughs> and that's why there's this continuity error on the yeah. poster. Yeah. It is it is really weird. I mean, I think that it's like it's it's a little confusing. Um, it sort of matters at the end in the sense that like the Rottweiler is the one who gets Spike. Like when there isn't the Rottweiler yeah, in the fence. Well, I mean, we can assume that he was torn to bits. I don't know. <laughs> the, movie, the movie's relationship to violence is very is very strange because it's mostly really cartoonish. Yeah, like Eugene Levy's it's, whole it's, thing is he's torn apart by wolves, but well, he's like frozen and dead, but I, it's, um, it's a little bit, um, the, it's like bloodless in a yes. very, in a very weird way where I think, I think to your earlier point about Tim Burton, he could have done more with this where it could have seemed like there were high stakes and that yes. it was like, without being like brutally violent, could have had more like fear and, you know, something going on there. Well, and also genuine whimsy right like genuine kind of fantasy the, the the issue with this there's many but like one of the big issues i think ultimately is it, it's kind of joyless in a, in a weird way whereas like tim burton's thing would have dialed everything it all would have felt heightened and it wouldn't have felt real and it would have felt much more sort of fantasy oriented and this movie has a weird reality fantasy issue that it's not really you know dealing with particularly well is is eugene levy this movie's anti from uh, yes. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> yes. Yes. And listen, Eugene Levy, every time I see him, I'm just happy to see Eugene Levy. Like, he's always funny. He's always great. Like, I, I don't know that he's given a ton to do here, but like... I I love that the, like, like arts critic guy who works yeah. for Hellvision is from the guy from Dexter. Like that is yes. oh my fantastic. God, I, did, I did not I did not ever make that connection until this time watching it that it's yeah. Dokes, it right? It's like the yeah. Dokes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean he's a USC film grad, which is very funny. Um I yeah, I I I, I like that I like Eugene Levy in this, obviously, because he's Eugene Levy. I do feel like we get kind of hints of a there's a lot of exposition from him. Mm-hmm. And also kind of like hints at this larger hell world. Um, I do have to say that the part where he's counting and his finger comes off um, made me believe as a child that that's something that happened a lot more often when you were too cold. <laughs> and that it was not, that it was frankly easy to pop your finger off like sure. a, a block of ice. Um, but that's not Eugene Levy's fault. That's something that, no. you know, I watched this movie without the proper context. For how I also work. think um, something that's a lot harder to do um, is push a cabin. Um, <laughs> I think I think two people would struggle to slide a cabin um, from a, a half dozen wolves. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. It's, it's like Maybe a little with that like attitude. Ice... They would. <laughs> it's like a, a little ice fishing. It's like a little ice fishing cabin, though, right? Yes. Yeah. That's not that hard. 
it's um, not, like like it's not like easy but like you could do it if you were sufficiently motivated if you, yeah, like, yeah if you're gonna be attacked by wolves um i you're, you're, you mentioned whimsy though and like how it's yeah. not really fun and i think like you kind of want i i do feel like john ritter should be having more fun yes than he is with the situation he's in and he kind of gets at that when he's in the film noir he's a little yep. bit excited about it yep. but it feels like the chuck jones segment is the only time when like they're really enjoying themselves at all and kind of yeah. having fun with the concept because they well they say that they can't be injured and they're like oh no we can't be injured but also like clearly they can't because they're so repeatedly injured and it's fine um but they're having fun he eats a lot of donuts she gets to have pictures of her kids as mice which is like an amazing gag and um yeah that's a fun that's like a fun segment so it is a fun segment great. yeah, yeah. I just, I do think that you make a really good point, um, Lewis, that like, it it does feel a little hamstrung. Um, Our two leads feel that way. As kooky as their surroundings are and their circumstances are, they don't feel particularly energized, if that makes sense. And I understand their lives are in danger and I know they should be scared, but also I feel like we don't see Roy's love of television manifest as much as it could like that should be um an asset to them that he knows how to do all these things and that he's excited to do these things or whatever but instead it sort of feels like it doesn't really know how to do that it's odd we need them we need them to go on a grand adventure and they're just kind of randomly getting tugged from place to place like there needs to be some like when john ritter goes back in when roy goes back i'm sorry i forgot the name of one of the cinema's (laughs) finest characters when roy goes back in to save helen Mm-hmm. Then the movie has like stakes and yes. has like a drive and there's like 10 minutes left. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, uh, yeah. I, so what um, I'm hearing I, is you wanted the movie to be longer. half an hour longer. Yeah. Yes, I did. Two hour movie. I want this to be a 13 episode limited series on AMC. <laughs> I got some pitches. AMC call me. Uh, well, AMC's doing Max Headroom, aren't they? <laughs> so. I think so. We can also reboot Switch for today. Yeah. I'm, I'm for working. Today. Yeah. I, I I have to ask, what did Libby think of uh, Stay Tuned, Emily? She uh, didn't watch much of it. Okay. She came in during the cartoon okay. and was like, oh, this seems like it might be okay. And then she was sitting out in the other room with our baby and mm. hearing it. Yeah. And because um, we the baby now watches mm. screens. So we are very much like, well, we don't want the baby seeing things right. that like, and I was like, I don't know if I want my child seeing Stay Tuned. <laughs> I don't know if I, if I want that being a movie that they're exposed to. Um, but Libby came in, saw the cartoon, was like, this seems fun. And then yeah. she was sitting out there and she heard it. Yeah. And she, I came out and I was like, mm, you know, it wasn't that great. And she was like, it sounded awful. And I was like, <laughs> so. But I would argue that it should sound more awful. That a more yeah, fun, ver- a more fun true. version of this yeah. would sound like, yeah. you know, we'd have more sound effects, we'd have more mm-hmm. chaos. It's like it's both like frenetic and it's pacing and also like a little slow, and mm-hmm. a little drab and dull. And I think there's a version of this that is like annoying, but like more entertaining yeah. overall because it commits to it and it really goes. You know, it's really goes through all all the channels and has fun with whatever concepts there. I had a pitch that I went out with years ago. Um, called was Tec- it stay tuned? <laughs> it kind of was. It was called Technicolor, um, and it was it was 
movies, not television shows, but it was essentially each week our family was pulled into another movie that they had to essentially solve something within that movie in order to get to the next movie. And it was sort of this, you know, fantasy thing, um, a family adventure type thing. Um, and, and I think that there's, as I said earlier, like the affinity and the desire to want to sort of, you know, um, dig into genre and dig it in, into all the various things that exist in television and movies and all that um, is enticing. I mean, not just on an IP level, fuck that. I just mean like in general, I think that there's a lot of fun to be had with the multimedium niche-ness of this. Um, I just don't know that they fully capitalize on it with this film, but it certainly is something interesting to it. You said I'm IP sure. and I'm, I'm just now thinking of a Netflix version of this where it's all Netflix shows and movies and I can't think of anything Nightmare. more hellish Nightmare. than that. How far away are we from Netflix just going like full Nintendo and doing like Netflix cart, Ugh. Netflix party, Netflix yeah. tennis, and just like the stars <laughs> of Netflix driving well, carts? Ever, uh, I mean, ever since so I saw uh, Free Guy, is that the movie that came yeah. out? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I realized it was all over when he starts fighting with the, there's a lightsaber and there's some superheroes. And I was like, it's done. Everything's a theme park and Netflix will certainly have their own version. Warner Brothers has a Super Smash Brothers game where you can fight as various and it includes like Arya Stark and Bugs Bunny and you're like sure why not <laughs> sounds great yeah I mean I I feel like this Super Mario Brothers movie that's coming out in a few weeks is going to be enormous I imagine it's going to make a boatload of money which is going to open up the whole like Nintendo universe and I mean yeah we're there we're 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 definitely going to be like doing all that shit I do feel like a lot of people have tried to do variations on this. Like I'm thinking about that Netflix show Maniac, which for yep, me didn't yep, yep. quite work, but was trying yep. to do this. And I think what's really hard is like, you kind of want a home base for a story like this. Like uh, that's what they're trying to do with the kids in a weird way. And it's just, just like, it's so hard because it starts to feel like anybody can be anybody. And like that's hard. That's hard to do unless you are like Quantum Leap had like an underscoring idea of what it was trying to say about American history. And like, unless you have a really firm concept, it just and the the concept here is like TV's kind of bad for you. And I think it's yeah. it's saying that in a way that feels out of date, even in 1992. Because, like, there's these twin... I'm going to go TV critic for a second. There's these, like, twin things that are happening in 1992, which is you've got... This is also the year Bruce Springsteen releases a song, 57 channels and nothing on. So you've got this sense that there are more and more and more channels and, like, less to watch on them. But it's also the early dawn of the is TV better than the movies era, which sort of I count as beginning in, like, I think it's 1995. There's an EW cover to that effect Mm -hmm. where they're like, look at all these great shows maybe TV's better than the movies, but we're in the very edges of that. You've had Twin Peaks, you have Northern Exposure, The Simpsons, a bunch of these shows that start to be identified with like quote unquote cinematic TV, which I think sure. is kind of diminishing of what's good about TV. So like stay tuned is, is not really aimed at either of those things. Like the easy thing to do would be, we're aiming at the 57 channels thing. We're flipping between different channels and each every five minutes is a new TV channel parody. It is very much parodying TV of like 1986, which makes sense given Hollywood development cycles. But TV was changing so rapidly at yeah. this point and had so much more cultural, growing amount of cultural cachet that it just it, the movie feels like it's it's pitched at no one and has no satirical target. I like the idea that you 
mentioned about him maybe using his like knowledge of tv shows and like genre like there's a meta version of this that's more interesting because the only real takeaway here is that tv is bad um that like tv is the tool of the devil and that um you know and that it's it's keeping him from being the man he should be where he you know teaches girls defense but it's like there's not really anything beyond that uh in terms of like social commentary so i i think that it's it's hard for us to go anywhere with it because it arrives at this point that i think is is just kind of silly and i don't don't think the movie even really agrees with because it won't really commit to it um i think but it's the only thing that really offers at all i think not to keep pitching ways to fix (laughs) this movie that came out you know 31 years ago (laughs) but um i i really like i think there would be something to if Helen similarly had a thing that she sort of was like ensnared by. And then they both worked through their demons within this hellscape. Like that's something. If this movie is more about this marriage has foundered because they don't have time for each other anymore because they have these hobbies or whatever. Or if she's got TV shows that she watches to make it really fucking hacky and gender essentialist in 90s, you know, she's addicted to soaps, something like that where they have to use their knowledge of like different TV genres to help each other survive. Like, I think you got something there and then it's more about the marriage, but instead we just have kind of an all purpose satire, but with like a really fucking good Chuck Jones cartoon in the middle. So, (laughs) but I also think too, that like, you know, what, what we're also reacting to generationally is something that's coming in a few years uh, which is Scream and sort of the metatextuality angle of it. The idea of characters that are aware of media, aware of TV and movies and 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 that deconstruction of all of that. Well, that they know, they specifically that they know the rules in order to right. survive. And this doesn't feel, it seems scared of that. But I would, ar- I would argue that the time they come closest to that is in the Chuck Jones cartoon. Yes. When they <laughs> order a dog a robot dog because they understand that is how you survive right. a cartoon. Right. They're they're playing by the rules of Chuck Jones cartoons. Um whereas the rest of it is like there there aren't really any rules that they can kind of use to their advantage. Well I mean there are they're choosing kind of not to, right? Like right. there are rules within a film noir detective movie that that they could have played into or a western. Like they could have played into those things and they chose not to. And I think it it's added it does both characters disservice mostly roy in terms of like that should be his quote-unquote superpower and yet he doesn't use it there are there are rules to a salt and pepper video (laughs) you need in order to survive correct um yes emily uh i you you this is this is another tangent but i know that lewis is a huge scream fan um Mm. so you mentioning scream when you said of course with the the, what you know what we're looking what we're talking about is scream i thought you were going to say the internet and that made the now freelancing part of my brain ping is scream the first movie about the internet. Cause it's not actually about the internet, but it feels very grounded in like the mm. way people were starting to talk about pop culture. Mm. I think that's an accident. I think it's Kevin Williamson riffing on like what Tarantino was already doing, but there's something very specifically youth friendly and genre friendly and like just really digging into like a specific thing that feels to me like an early internet comment section Mm -hmm. i don't know i think there's something there and i just want to hear lewis riff on it because i know you love fucking scream (laughs) i I, scream six so good i I do i do love scream Mm -hmm. um 
I I think there's something interesting there because, you know, what to me, what Scream is doing, if you want to talk about it in a horror context, is taking what Wes Craven did in New Nightmare, mm-hmm. which is kind of, Great you know, one of the one of the really early meta horror um, slashers and then making it so that it's not just the audience that gets it. It's the characters who are really self-aware, which definitely feels like an Internet thing. I mean, you know, I think it's also in that case because they're not really talking about it online. It's like sort of video store culture and it's like the experts are the people who work at the video store. Um, but certainly the Internet is an, is an undercurrent there and being able to talk about movies the way we did for a time and now it's i don't know it's all chaos um was helpful to kind of figuring out uh the rules that we're playing by or when you're watching a movie kind of like what what tropes and what um you know thematic links it has to other movies like that is something that does feel very internet culture to me um, so you should definitely pitch your screen piece. Um, Listen, I missed re- the I'd news peg. I missed the fucking news peg. Well, wait, wait, wait till Scream 7, which, you know, will be out, I'm sure, in Two years from now. five minutes. Well, yeah. the, this was, the, this one came out like Scream 2, like barely a year after the last yeah. one. But then traditionally speaking, they wait a couple years for the next one. So yeah. that probably a seems bit. right. I gotta, I gotta say, I really fucking dig the the new cast. I I know a lot of people don't. I really like them. I really like I these liked, new kids. I liked them a lot more in six than in five. I, I would, uh, I would say that Melissa Pereira is much better in six than in five. Yeah, I was probably reading my love of her TV performances onto five, but like I agree, she's much better in six. Um, I also like that she has a boyfriend who's like just just kind of doesn't deliver lines very well, and you're like, oh, <laughs> Sam, get some. Well, but. um you've seen the other two or you've not seen the other two the television show uh i've i have seen the other two it's i i don't think i've seen season two i've seen season one is is amazing that's how but that's how that's the thing about josh cigar is that's just how he talks yes 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 it's actually a very naturalistic performance because that is how he's a weird fit he's a weird fit in the scream universe i think whereas like tim robinson is a great fit in the scream universe even if he's just playing a like a voice cameo perfect perfect i you know it's it's interesting i went into this one with pretty low expectations because i didn't really love five Five's um, great. It's great. I, I, I wish I liked it more. I will not I stand for the five slander, and I'm really upset that everyone has used this. It's fine if you never liked it, but a lot of people that I know liked five saw six and were like, I love six. Five was garbage in retrospect, and I cannot I cannot. I wouldn't say that. that. I, 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 here's what I'll say, too. Um, I, you know, the Scream movies are great. Like, as a franchise, mm-hmm. I think they're a great franchise. Um, I'm thrilled that, like, they found new life because it seemed like after four, everyone had kind of just were, were, they seemed done with it. And thankfully Paramount and Spyglass saw potential in it and what have you. I just thought that six seemed, I think that five felt weighted down with expectations a little bit. And I think that six felt a little freer since five was a success. They could kind of run with things a little bit more with six. It just, it felt a little bit, I don't know, quicker on its lighter on its feet. The one thing I hope is that as they keep making Scream movies, they keep Jasmine Savoy Brown alive so that she has to continue to explain, like, the complicated sure, way sure. that, like, I want her to be in Scream 8.5, Scream on Mars, and be explaining, like, what a side quill is to, like, just, like, a whole bunch of randos. I, 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 want, her to, I want her to use 
Halloween ends to explain <laughs> how the third movie in a requel trilogy has to wildly <laughs> diverge from the story and have a different killer. Sure. I think that would be a good a good next movie for me. I also think <sighs> to bring this back to stay tuned. Yes, of course. Um is that <laughs> were he, were he not who he is, Jeffrey Jones would be a great ghost, ghost face. Unfortunately, yes. Yes. there's too much baggage there. You know, he would be a good one. But he would be a great ghost face. I I I, you, I agree with that. Do you think Roger Roger L Jackson the voice of Ghostface modulates his performance based on which killer he's supposedly voicing? I, I feel so. like he's that dedicated. I feel well, like he, he we we get like um in in Scream 5 we get him talking in his like normal voice when he's calling mm. Tara on the phone and he's mm-hmm. like kind of talking like uh you know friend yeah. from AA. I believe that's him doing just like his actual voice before he gets really growly. A I lot love, of my yeah. Sure. A lot of my love of five is a love of that cold open. I think that cold Great. open is one of the best. It's so good. It What's upends so many again? expectations. Jenna he Ortega. Attacks, yeah. He attacks Jenna oh, Ortega. Yes, yes, so you yes. don't really know who she is. You're like, okay, so they're not doing a famous person. And then she lives and you're like, oh, she's one of the main. It's so good. It's that is, that is, I, yeah. Perfect. I, I should watch five again. I feel like it's going to end up being blank checks Patreon, so I'm. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm just going to kind of wait and see if they if it wins the the bracket this year. This but is a I, screen podcast now. We're just talking <laughs> screen. It's um, not. It's not. It's not unrelated. I mean, I was thinking about it too because I yeah. think that this is a this is a movie that like tries to do meta and fails at it. Yes, and or barely tries to do meta, but you know, I think we all agree could be. There's a version of this that's so much more interesting that would really like lean into the meta. Do you think yeah. that this movie, as a child, Lewis, teed you up for your love of Scream? Like that it that it that it broke your brain just enough so that honestly, you could... <laughs> I I will say that it, that it did not because of the meta, but because I think as a kid who was really scared of like horror movies, it was watching movies like this that made me, you know, later come to rediscover them and be able to watch them. Perfect. It was like growing up with this, the aforementioned Gremlins two, like Perfect. movies that are scary like but that taught me that like horror can be fun i think we're really formative so yes it brought me to scream (laughs) um let's rate this because i'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we're covering next week uh lewis so i as i mentioned had not seen this film in 92 i came into this podcast i think i was perhaps a little too generous i came in at a 70 um which i think is is a little (laughs) (laughs) emily's face is really good perfect (laughs) i'm i'm going down emily it's not like i'm staying at 70 i'm gonna go down to i'm going down to a 59 i i think that this movie is um a little bit of a missed opportunity um i think there's a lot of interesting stuff there as i mentioned there's some great performances some great jokes i'm just not sure that it all fully comes together um but when i you know when i stopped watching it yesterday i was like that movie was kind of fun and now with us unpacking it, I've I've come back down to earth. We've talked we've, so. we've talked you out of having a good opinion of it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, where are you, Lewis? What do you, where were you when you saw this as a kid, and where are you now? Well, as a kid, this was a, a perfect score. Ninety nine. This, this was. I mean, there's. I well, I mean, watching it again was a trip because I don't remember when I last saw it. I've seen it as an adult, but it's been years. Um, I truly remember every line of this movie, every line reading. I could like, I knew what was happening next. I knew it was really. <laughs> kind of weird how well I remembered it um memorized it mm. uh so I feel like I can't read it properly I didn't read it on letterboxd I said that I couldn't read it um 
And someone commented and said, this movie is also a one and a half star slash four star movie to me. And I was like, maybe I average those. Maybe I'm like, you know, sure, maybe sure. it's kind of like, it's like, a, I don't know. It's like a 50, which is not an average, but I'm not doing sure. the math right now where it's just like, it's perfect and terrible at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. It's somewhere, it's right in the middle. What about you, Emily? I'm very curious to hear this. The conversation drifted past this so quickly. I didn't get a chance to talk about this, but I have had Mm. stuck in my head ever since we discussed this an image of like a group of like trans people outside the 1992 Oscars protesting the crying (laughs) game. And then across the street, one man with three billboards, the first of which reads, stay tuned, groundbreaking digital effects. Second one reads, and yet no special effects nomination. Third one reads, how come Academy? Uh, I I just have this image in my brain of him like lonely picketing. And that's what Martin McDonough saw. And inspired his movie. A young Martin McDonough sees this on television. It's like... Incredible. Uh, first, I'm doing 90 square phobia scale. I'm going to give this a six. Not overtly queer phobic, but literally every joke in it that could approach queer phobia, you're like, oh, they're assuming I'm laughing at these guys being sort of soft with each other because I'm like laughing at the presumption of some sort of feminine what do you think homosexual of that, stereotype. The, what, um, the, the queer phobia? Yeah. Yeah. On the um, queer phobia scale of uh, zero to 10. I was, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised at the. Um, the French Revolution stuff was like less transphobic than it could have yeah. been, which is a very low bar. But I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think the movie, and I'm always pleasantly surprised when I watch a movie from the early 90s, it doesn't make me feel disgusting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, that seems fair to me. I definitely felt like the, the scenes with the French Revolution were like, a less transphobic than they could have been but b because they were assuming i was bringing a transphobic read to it like they didn't need to be like ha 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 john ritter is wearing a dress and that makes him you know uh, whatever slur you want to throw at him because they just assumed that my brain was already going there especially with the gag that takes us out of that moment um where somebody's like uh hey i wear women's clothing too and then the other guy looks at him like like, that's right um, i was i was trying to remember there was like there was certainly what there was like one joke in there that i was like sad trombone yeah. and that was it was that one <laughs> and like i i'm being a little bit harsh on it in this regard but uh i think that uh i i never saw this when it came out i desperately wanted to as a standover mm-hmm. um but uh i wanted to see it in theaters but it got a very limited release didn't come anywhere near me uh, so it never, I never got to see it, and I just never watched it because it didn't have a great reputation. But I gave the trailers in. I gave not. I didn't even give the trailers this. I gave a blurb. I read about it in the newspaper in '99 in 1992. I thought that was <laughs> sounded like the best movie ever made. Now uh, I came in being like, this is a straight down the middle fifty, right between like the bad and good just like right in the middle like i can't recommend it one way or the other then i remember it i'm taking two points off for the driving over miss daisy joke so it's going down to a 48 because that joke was very bad and thus i narrowly do not recommend watching this at all yeah i mean maybe with the with the the, the drive with so what you have to understand about the driving over miss miss daisy joke (laughs) is that there was a movie called driving miss daisy So that's like kind of the context for it. And then driving over driving over an old person is inherently funny. So they just kind of, that's where they were going with it. But it's a little, um, it's, it's heady. I understand it's not, not for everyone. So 
Next week, um, we are doing a very a rare thing on this podcast, which is a double bill. Um, we have Karina Longworth coming on to talk about basic instinct and consenting adults, um, which uh, obviously matches up with her um, erotic 90s miniseries that she is embarking on. Um, so she came on to talk about the third highest grossing film uh, of 1992, Basic Instinct. Um, and everyone's favorite consenting adults, the movie where Kevin Klein is accused and convicted of murdering someone who, uh, it's a whole thing, uh, but Kevin Spacey's in it. Um, it's, 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 you know, um, it's a great episode. I had a blast talking about both of these films. I think you did too, Emily, right? You talked to, you, you, you had a good time talking, uh, basic instinct to consenting adults. Oh, listen, I consent adult all the time. <laughs> I, I, I had a blast talking about the Kevins and their yeah. uh, homoerotic passion. <laughs> yes. That was, that was, that had a pretty, if I remember correctly on the queer phobia scale for, uh, for that one, um, you had an interesting take. I am curious, uh, Lewis, do you have thoughts on basic instinct? Never seen it. Really? Never seen it. I, I feel like there's a whole, I was thinking about this because I'm excited mm. for that podcast yes. or the season. Of yes. what, uh, you must and then I this. saw, yeah. yes. And I saw Criterion is doing uh, just er- erotic, yeah. erotic thrillers. Um, there's like so much I haven't seen that I need to catch up on. I was busy watching Stay Tuned um, <laughs> five, 500 times. Not that I should have been seeing Basic Instinct yeah. as like a six-year-old, but um, no. yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I am. It's pretty. I, I, it's pretty fun. <laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm gonna like dive into yeah erotic thrillers soon, unless I can like keep badgering Clay to give me another like project to work on for screen drafts. I'm going to do erotic thrillers for myself, for my own education. Uh, yeah, I, I do feel like screen drafts is a perfect opportunity to do deep dives into things. Um, I agree with you on that. Erotic erotic 90s stuff, like I saw a handful of them, but obviously Karina's doing a deep, deep dive and there's a bunch that I want to catch up on. So yeah, if you don't, if our listeners do not subscribe to Criterion Channel, this would be a good month to do it because there's a bunch of really great stuff on there. Um, and Karina's the best. Um, it was it was a blast talking Sharon Stone and fucking Michael Douglas. You know, you know, uh, Sharon Stone referenced in Scream very memorably. <laughs> I'm just What's I'm your... going to just. Yeah. You don't remember? I don't think I do. About about when they're saying that Cindy's mom was. Oh, so sure. Like strutting oh, yes, around like Sharon Stone Sharon and she's no face. Sharon Stone. Yeah. There's another Sharon Stone thing earlier in the movie that I can't remember right now, that, but um, yes. she definitely should be Ghostface next uh, since Jeffrey that Jones would be is out of the picture. I, um, you know, I will say this, and we talked about this, Emily, a little bit on the episode when we talked about Basic Instinct, but um, I, what I do think you would appreciate, Lewis, and would, would enjoy is like it's a really well made movie. Like Paul Verhoeven is obviously a great filmmaker. So like, and it's shot by Yonda Bond, who would go on to do Speed and Twister. Like, the movie is just really slick and fun, and the car chases are cool. Like, it, it's one of those things where like, if you take out all the like, you know, sex stuff, which is obviously part of why the film does as well as it does, so much of it is rooted in like an action movie. It's and gory, like it's bloody as. But well. but if I want to watch a lesbian kill people. Yeah, is that the right movie for me? I don't know, Emily. What would you say to that? I, by the way, I do <laughs> want to watch a lesbian kill people. I hope that was. A, I was. I. 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 You know. I very Listen, much appreciate movies. I'm not going to kill people. I'm not going to spoil my queer phobia rating for yeah, Basic yeah. Instinct, but yeah, it's no, my favorite be. one I've given yet. Yeah. I'm going to say this: that movie 
is so, so, so afraid of lesbians that it passes through some <laughs> event horizon and becomes like one of the most positive representations of lesbians I've ever seen. No, I mean, I completely get that. I mean, I, but I yeah. feel that way. Like I, you know, I, I love cruising a movie that people consider to be wrongly considered to be homophobic, but is actually, um, super pro gay in my opinion. Um, so I, I I'm, I'm going to watch basic instinct from a like lesbian superhero perspective. That's probably of, the right way to look at uh, of, it. Yeah. Of all of it. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But more than anything, um, where can people find you? And is there anything that you want to plug? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Lewis Peitzman mm-hmm. on letterboxd, same name. Um, mm. Nothing to plug. Nothing at all. Uh, I don't have a lot going on. That's why I'm like, I need a project. No, I, I didn't mean it like that. I that's, was why just, I, that's why I pitch myself to podcasts. Um, oh, please. Wait, was, you know, this hit, was a... hit me up for a podcast appearance, and uh, oh I'm God. around. Believe me, now now that I know that, I'm hitting you up way more for this. But we'd love to have you back, obviously. <laughs> we got to fucking do Mom and Dad Save do... the World. I got to <laughs> see yeah, that I, movie. I feel like that's now, yeah, is for that, sure. Is it available anywhere? I'm just, I want to make sure that it's like um... i'm sure it's on youtube but but i don't know if i'm like it must be i do have it on dvd if you want um next it is time on I'm hbo max currently okay so okay yeah i was gonna say next time i'm, I'm in uh in the area i i never DVD, but i never thought i'd say this but thank you david sasloff for <laughs> no, just... be careful what you wish for because that he could pull it by the end of the hey, day you think we could fucking pitch around a mom and dad save the world uh show let's absolutely. try it let's just take it absolutely. out let's take it out absolutely <laughs> Um, thank you so much, Lewis. This was absolutely a blast. And we obviously are going to have you back to talk about how um, the titular mother and father saved the world. So we can't, we can't wait for that. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. Thank you so much, Lewis. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.